That said, let me begin by saying today, like every other Sunday, we as the body of Christ come together to joyfully celebrate, celebrate and rejoice in our salvation, right? In our relationship with the Lord Jesus, we come to encourage each other, build each other up. We have bagels and coffee afterwards to fellowship and build each other up and also to come to be nurtured in the Word of God. And please tell me if I step back too far. It might be a little funny, all right? Be nurtured in the Word of God so we can be built up in Christ. But it's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing. That's why the Word says, don't forsake the gathering of believers. It's good, right? But today, for me, it's just a little more special. And the reason why is because we celebrate the two ordinances that the Lord Jesus gave us. Not only did he partake of these ordinances, but he gave them to us, right, as his disciples to partake of them also, but to rejoice and celebrate in what they mean. And these two ordinances are water, baptism, and communion, the only perfect word. And let me begin by saying that an ordinance is simply a prescribed practice that was ordained by Jesus Christ. It's like a law, but it's not like the Ten Commandments. It's a prescription towards obedience to obey the Lord Jesus in these things and to partake of them. Participation, participation by those who have by faith believed into Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so that we identify with him in what he did and we obey him in the instructions he's given us. And before I go any further, I have to make something very clear. It's absolutely necessary to understand this and his foundation to any teaching about water baptism and communion. And that is, please listen carefully, partaking in any or both of these ordinances in no way procures one's salvation, nor can they be added to one's pro profession of faith in order to secure our salvation. Do you understand? Our salvation is by faith alone into the redemptive work of Christ alone. Amen? It's a fundamental truth that this is the only thing by faith into Christ, that we are reconciled to a holy God. And please understand that biblical Christianity is not ritualistic or sacramental. Many of us grew up in a denominational church, me included, where we heard of or even partook of certain sacraments. The ritual of following sacraments is called sacramentalism, all right? And please listen carefully. What they believe is that some special grace is bestowed on somebody who partakes of these sacraments. And here's the heresy. It's usually held by these sacramental churches that grace, salvation grace, sustaining grace, coming home grace, is based on keeping these sacraments even if you've never made a profession of faith, of believing it to Jesus Christ, as you're okay, you're in a right relationship with God, and that is complete heresy. Okay? Very simply, nothing can be added to or taken away salvation by grace through faith alone, period. And I want to go through a scripture here in Galatians 1, 6 to 9, and I'll give you the background. Paul is writing to the church because in the Galatian church, the Judaizers came in and said, look, yes, it's faith in Jesus, but you have to add some of the things from Moses, like circumcision. So Paul goes berserkazoid because... He's only saying that faith can be, um, salvation can be only by faith in Christ. Listen to what it says in Galatians 1, 6-9. The scripture verses should be up there. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What he's saying is you're turning to a gospel of works. You're trying to add something to the salvation, which is really, ready, no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is pretty adamant here. Because something too, salvation by faith, let them be cursed because what they're going to do is lead you right into the gates of hell. So he's pretty adamant here. Listen, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? And I borrowed that one from good old Mike, all right? So the blessings that we receive by partaking of either or both of these ordinances, communion and water baptism, are the blessings that come from obeying our Lord, by emulating our Lord. So by walking in his footsteps and obeying his word, these are the blessings that come, all right? And by doing so, we identify him with him, ready? In his life, his death, his resurrection to new life, his ascension, and our eternal life. And as we go through these ordinances, I want to look at some W and H questions, that who, what, where, how kinds of questions. So let's begin with water baptism, the first ordinance. The first question is, why? Why do we get water baptized? And the very first answer is, because Jesus set the place as our example. He was water baptized. This is the Lord of glory, the sinless, perfect one. But to fulfill all righteousness and to set the example for us, he's water baptized. Listen to Matthew 3, 13 to 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. John realized he was a sinner, and he is the Lord of glory. Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John did it. So the first reason that we are water baptized is because the Lord set the example. Amen? And then the second reason is simply because Jesus told us to. Look at uh, the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. These are some of the last words of our Savior before he ascends into heaven. So uh, as my pastor used to say, if I was on my deathbed, some of those last things I would say to my family are probably going to be of extreme importance. So listen to what the Lord says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. And so we continue to do this to this very day. The apostles did it. The disciples through the centuries have done it. And so we go. And we teach and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which you'll see today. And then we look to disciple them so that they grow in Christ. Now, where should a baptism be? Whether it be a font in the church, I got baptized in the Flores' pool. Themis gave me the pictures last week. Oh, my goodness, after 30 years, how I have changed. All right? I actually had hair. And muscles, but not anymore. All right, but uh, anywhere. It could be a river, it could be an ocean, anywhere that there's enough water to baptize somebody. Amen? And what happens is uh, we see that when we're baptized, we're actually buried with Christ. We are die with Christ. We're resurrected with Christ. And we come up to live a new life in Christ. Amen? 
All right, so with that said, I'm going to ask everybody to turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 10, because this is the uh, basis of why we are water baptized. Romans 6, verses 1 to 10. The main question for understanding this morning. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We therefore are buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. I love this. So we are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death he died, he died once for all, once for all, never to be repeated. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. This is the main passage for understanding baptism. And the beauty of it, if we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, it says we're in Christ, in Christ, in him. And we must understand when we place our faith into Jesus Christ, we are so united with him that they even call the, the marriage union of being like united with Christ. It's the word echad, which means it's a union, a cleaving that can't be separated. We are in Christ. So identifying with him, it's as if we died on the cross, that old Rob died on the cross with Christ. I was buried with him, that old man. But then I resurrected into new life, to live a new life unto him, with the hope that I will ascend and be with him in his glory and eternal life forever. And the beauty of it, if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, it says our union is such is that we are already seated with him in heavenly places. Because it's as if we're already there. Even though we're living our life on earth, that union is so close that the day we die or the rapture happens, boom, we're in glory. Amen? In Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And one last uh, question concerning water baptism is, why do we do it in public? Why do we come? Why is family here today? Why do we do it in front of everybody? It's simply this. It's a testimony to those around us that we've placed our lives, ourselves, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that we are choosing to dedicate our lives and live to him and for him. We are saying, I put my faith in Christ. I am now living for the one who is my Lord and my Savior. Amen? Praise God. And that... Uh, and we live as what I said, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I am now a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. I had a good talk with my son Thomas about this, and it's wonderful. It's one, a kid who lived a totally different life, came back to the Lord, and he said, Dad, nothing else matters. Only living for Christ matters. You know, anything we do on this side of eternity, if it's not for the Lord, and I hate to bring this up. I don't know where Kobe Bryant stood. I really don't. But all those accolades in eternity, the only thing that will matter is our faith in the Lord and what we've done to bring him glory and honor. Nothing else. All the other stuff will melt away. All right? So we do it uh, public, again, to 
our testimony to the Lord. So let's go on to our second ordinance given to us by the Lord, and that's communion. And again, let's look at some W and H questions. And the best place to begin is, why do we partake of communion? Again, it's because the Lord instructed us to do so. Listen to Matthew 26, 26 to 28. While they were eating, and many of us know this, many of us could even quote it, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying what? Take it and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And it's also found in the other synoptic gospels, in, in Mark and in Luke, and also in 1 Corinthians 11. But it's an instruction by the Lord to partake of these elements that we are going to partake of this morning. All right? And let's dig a little deeper. Why did Jesus institute this ordinance? All righty? And in order to do this, we really have to look at his life and his mission. And to understand this, we actually have to step into eternity past. And we also have to step into the beginning of humankind. We have to look at is understand this. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the eternal Son of God, who came to earth and clothed himself in flesh. But he is the eternal Son of God, okay? And he has all the attributes of God. Non-communicable ones like being omniscient, omnipotent, right? Omnipresent. But one that really stands out and separates the Lord God from anything else in creation is that he is holy. He is holy. Perfectly holy. Perfectly sinless. Perfectly righteous. And hold on to that, because there's a reason why we're bringing that out. So the first point of reference is to understand that this man we call Jesus is the eternal Son of God with the Father and the Holy Spirit who created all things, sustains all things, and sovereignly rules over all things, including humankind. Amen? Listen to what uh, John 1, 1 to 3 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This is Jesus they're talking about, the creator and sustainer of everything, the eternal son of God. And as we proceed, we must understand from the Genesis fellowship with him. Now, did God need fellowship? No, he's perfectly content in the Godhead. But to pour out his love, to pour out his grace, to pour out who he is on a created being that could understand that he creates man for fellowship with him, not for his sake, for our sake, that we could enjoy fellowship with a holy God, a perfect God. Not only for fellowship, but he also creates us to co-labor with him over the creation. Read the Genesis account, that we would work with our holy God to look over the perfect environment that he sets man in. But... We all know if we move on to Genesis 3, something happens where Adam and Eve willfully choose to rebel against the one prohibition that God gave them. He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? They go and they partake. Willfully chose to rebel against God's ordinance. Family, this was their one and only prohibition in a perfect environment. But even though tempted... It was still their choice to choose sin. Do you hear me? Their choice. God gave us free will. And in the scriptures, we call this the fall of man. The fall of man. And at that point, sin enters the world. Death enters the world, both physical and spiritual death. And in the fallen state, 
We are sinners. We're going to sin at some point in our life. Amen? Oh, me, I should say. All right? And at this point, all humankind would come from the seed and lineage of Adam, and we would inherit that sin nature, and we will end up sinning against God at some point. And uh, I mean, little babies may not sin, but man, you don't ever teach a baby, come on, parents, to say, no, or mine, gimme, or fighting with their siblings or rebelling against their parents. And look what Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 5.12 says this, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that being Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. And Isaiah 59.2, look what it says. But our iniquities has separated us from our God. Our sins have separated us from our God. Why? He's holy and we are sinners, so we're separated from his holiness. But before the creation of the world, God knowing that man would choose sin, he had a plan. He's omniscient. He knows all things from the beginning to the end. And because of his perfect love and his perfect grace and his perfect mercy, he had a plan to come and reconcile humankind back to himself. And we see it right in the beginning, the book of beginnings. Many of us are familiar with this scripture verse in Genesis 3.15. It says, speaking of the Messiah, the Savior that was to come, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your heel. It's a promise that one is going to come to defeat the work of Satan, to defeat death, to defeat sin, but he himself would incur a fatal wound. He would die in the process of doing this. And from that point forward, through all the scriptures, through the hundreds of prophetic messages, through all the types in scripture, it's pointing to the day that the Messiah will come. And there comes a day when he does. He steps in God's set and appointed time. The man Jesus is God the Son come in the flesh. He is the Emmanuel, God with us, who came to die and take our place on the cross of Calvary. And he was tempted. And when I brought out before that he's holy, he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And like us, he relied on the Holy Spirit to keep him walking that walk according to the obedience and to his Father. So he sets us the example. We have that same spirit as Christians that we can walk in obedience. And why does he come? To take the full wrath of God the Father and become the substitute for our sin so that the judgment wrath of God that must be poured out on sin is satisfied in the redemptive work of Christ. Praise God. Listen to Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest as an able to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, but did not sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that what? We might become the righteousness of God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness. The Father sees us in the righteousness of his Son. Amen? Praise God. And in 1 John 2, 2, it says this, He himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for us, but for the sins of the whole world. He didn't just come for the Jews. He came for everybody, that whoever, whosoever puts their faith in Christ receives that righteousness and is in a right standing before the Father in heaven. Amen? And of course, listen, those prophetic words of Isaiah 53. 
It says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, peace with God was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. How are we healed by his wounds? That in Christ we are spiritually reborn. The greatest healing that these bodies are going to give out. But our spirits will go on forever. And we've got a choice of one or two places. We can go and be with the evil one in his kingdom. Or we can go to be with the Lord in his kingdom. And when we place our faith in Christ. It's to be with him. In that eternal bliss forever. Praise the Lord. And listen to verse 10. It says, yet it was the Lord's will. It was the Father's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. That's his resurrection. And be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many because he bears their iniquities. He bears the sin of the world so that whoever puts their faith in him has the promise of eternal life. So what are we to remember when the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember this. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And God created man for fellowship with him, but that fellowship was broken by sin. In Adam, we're all sinners, and that we're separated from God now and through eternity in the sinful state. But God came in the flesh. He is the Emmanuel, the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3.15. And he ended up going the way of the cross so we would not have to. Amen? These elements, the bread and cell, but the bread and the juice, which represents the wine, the bread is his broken body, the juice, the blood that was spilled for us on Calvary's hill. And why? It's the only way, the only way of redemption to be reconciled to a holy God is through the work that he did. This is what we remember. Who Jesus was and is, we acknowledge our lost condition and the wrath that we deserve. That he came and took our place so we could be reconciled to God and enjoy fellowship with him now, now, now into eternity. As soon as we put our faith in Christ, that fellowship's restored. So this is what we celebrate, communion and communion restored. Amen? And church, with that said, there also needs to be a time of, listen, reflection and repentance as we come to communion. Paul gives us this instruction in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. So before we come, it says examine ourselves. Any sin in our lives, sinful bents, are we walking in a violation of God's word? Do we need to make things right with somebody? That's why in Matthew, that whole thing, go and make things right with your brother. Have a clear conscience with God and have a clear conscience with others so that we may come with nothing interfering with the communion with God and the communion with others, that we can take this with clean hands and a pure heart, if you will. Amen? All right? We should not come and partake in an unworthy manner. That's the way Paul puts it. As Christians, we should reflect, confess, repent, and make it right with God and with others as we come. And listen, as we do this, our time is also a time of refreshing. You know, I've said this before. You come home from playing sports, you're all dirty, sweaty, whatever, and you get in that nice hot shower and wash off and you feel better. So when we come and we confess before the Lord, it's like washing that 
impurity off of us and making it right with God so we feel refreshed and cleansed in his presence. Listen to Psalm 103, 8 to 12. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Blessing, right? We don't get, right? As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He forgives our sins. It's under the blood. All those things prior to age 31 that I did are now under the blood of Jesus Christ, not to be held up against us again. And look, even when we do, we can come to the Lord, confess, and we can be, what, forgiven. Listen to 1 John 1.9. He was writing this to Christians. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from what? All unrighteousness. And please understand, we all sin in the course of the day. But listen, we don't go, well, I curse now. I'm out of fellowship with God. Let me repent. I'm back. No, our salvation's secure. But what we do is we confess our sins to keep a clear conscience before God and we make it right with us to have a clear conscience before others so that our relationship and communion with God isn't marred by the sins throughout the day. So keep a short account. One of the things I would suggest is at night before you go to bed, review your day and say, Lord, I blew it here. Lord, I blew it there. Give me the strength and grace that tomorrow I walk stronger in you. And finally, family, communion should be a time of rejoicing. Let's end on this, a time of rejoicing. Rejoice in the fact that he came to save us, something we could not do in and of ourselves. That God himself, I mean, take a look at the universe. What kind of being could speak into existence, yet he came and clothed himself in flesh? It would be like a small comparison. If we clothed ourselves to be like a cockroach, right, and tried to understand humankind, it'd be impossible. We can't understand God, but this God comes in the flesh to save us because we couldn't do that for ourselves. Rejoice in the fact that you're saved and in sins that we committed and we can have fellowship with the Holy God. Rejoice that we have eternal life in Christ. Go back, read Ephesians 1, 3 to 11. Redeemed, reconciled, forgiven, marked and sealed that we belong to him by the Holy Spirit. Look at all these spiritual blessings that we have in the Lord. And listen, the verse in Matthew 26 that we read this morning tells you, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And also in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says this, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have a promise. He's coming back. He's coming back. And he's going to take us to be with him where he is. Read John, where it says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I come back to take you where I am. We have this promise. If we are to die today, we go to be with the Lord. If that rapture happens, we go to be with the Lord. He made this promise for us. And to kick off this eternal marriage, we are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Boy, that's going to be some feast. I can't wait. Macaroni, fried galamad, scongili salad, octopus salad, zeplas, struffola. It's going to be a heck of a feast. I can't wait. But listen to what Revelations 19, 6-9 tells us. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters, and with loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigneth. Praise God.
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the words that are true of the living God. We have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. When that time comes and we get our resurrected bodies, we will be sitting at this glorious feast with Christ himself, the Father and the Holy Spirit, enjoying fellowship with God forever and ever. What a feast it's going to be. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And rejoice, I have Daniel, because these are words for us who have placed our faith in Christ. There's a lot of craziness going on in the world today, the whole political, de- 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 de, the viruses that we see. But you know what? This is temporary. We have eternal life. Eternal life. Christian, that's our hope. And it is going to take place. Just as he came the first time and fulfilled the mission, he, but the Lord of glory to set up his kingdom of God. Amen. Look, life's challenging at times. I have this in here. It can be downright nasty. People suffer. I've, as a pastor and elders, we see the prayer requests that come in. People suffer. It's nasty out there on this side of eternity. But that's temporary. And you know, I just got to share this. Yesterday I was talking, talking to Sister Tina Kemper, Pastor Greg's wife. Pastor Greg, at 42, or 40, had a stroke. Now he's 42. And she said, you know, this, the reason this may have happened it's because I got to witness to people in the rehab centers and in the hospital. And she goes, if that was Christ's reason for this happening to my husband so these people would hear the gospel, she goes, I get it. That's a very mature Christian point of view. Amen? That though we suffer, we can use it for God's glory. But listen, what's to come is forever. Forever in resurrected bodies. I'm going to be six foot tall and a head of hair and no baggy eyes. I'll be in the presence of God where there is no curse, no devil, no pain, no suffering, no death. It's going to be perfect righteousness and holiness. So I have down here rejoice, church, because this is what we celebrate in when we take these ordinances. Through water baptism, we identify him. Through communion, right? We remember what he did and we remember what we have to look forward to. He says, do this in remembrance of me, but he also says... Remember that I'm coming back to take you where I am. So this is what we celebrate today. We rejoice and celebrate because of who we are and what we have in Christ. Amen? So with that said, I'm going to ask Brother Sal to come up while I go get in my white robe so we can uh, partake of these wonderful ordinances. Amen? But I pray that that was a blessing. And this is why, for those who uh, are here at Neighborhood for the First Time, why we partake of communion and water.